where we read, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and perseverance and preserve their souls. In Hebrews 11, 1-3, the writer defines faith for us and gives Old Testament examples to flesh out what he means. He writes, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things that are not visible. And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who exist, who seek him. So the writer fleshes out that definition by giving us examples. So if you look back in Hebrews chapter 11, what you'll find is him beginning with um, Abel, verse 4, 11, 4. Abel offered a a more acceptable sacrifice to God than did Cain. And then we read about Enoch, who was taken up, that he should not see death. Now, those two examples don't necessarily fit the definition which really hinges on the Word of God. It's by the Word of God that we understand that the things, uh, we understand that everything was created. And those men, we don't notice anything being told them by the Word of God. But what the writer of Hebrews deduces is this in verse 6, that without faith it is impossible to please him. Therefore Abel had to have faith, and so did Enoch, because it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, or that he is, and that he rewards those who seek him. And then we read about Noah. Noah was given a warning, so he was given the word of God. Abraham, he was given the word by God when he called him out of Ur the Chaldeas. He was also given the word of God when he made a promise to him with the covenant. And he was also given the word of God again when he went up to sacrifice Isaac. Um, And they all, but notice, verse 13, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's what they did. They didn't receive the promises. They looked forward to them. And then he writes some more about Abraham. And then we drop down and we see about Moses. Um that Moses was hidden by his parents because they thought he was beautiful. I think what they mean by that is that they thought that he was the one who would deliver Israel because that's what Moses believed. And then by faith, when he grew up, Moses refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. And then verse 26, we read, and this is an interesting verse to think about, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. We'd like to tease that idea out someday, but not today. 
And then by faith they kept the Passover again. It was a commandment of God and they kept the Passover. And we go on and on through the scripture until we come to those verses that we've read. And then these final words in verse 39, a second time that's stated, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. You see, God's people, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, live by faith and not by sight. That is, we live trusting God's word, which word reached its climax and culmination in His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. But then we ask, well, you know, how do we live by faith? We have those promises held up before us. Sometimes it's a real struggle. You know, how, how do we do this? What, what, what could we do to live by faith? Well, I want to give you three, I don't like to call them steps. I want to give you three truths that are not three, actually five or six that come out of Hebrews chapter 12. Five truths. Let me check and make sure it's five. Yes, it's five truths that I want to draw your attention to from Hebrews chapter 12 regarding your walk of faith. And the first one is this, remember. Therefore, verse 1, in verse chapter 12, verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Who were those witnesses for the Hebrews? Well, it was the people that the writer mentioned in chapter 11. Those, that's the great cloud of witnesses. But we have great cloud of witnesses as well, only we have more than them. We remember those who have gone on before us, and so we stand in the midst of a cloud of witnesses. The scripture is full of them, and they, test, they all testify that we walk by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith and not by sight means that we walk according to the word of God and not by what we see or experience. The Word of God is our authority, not the state, not psychology, not the, not the present mores of our country or of the world. They are not our authority. We live according to God's Word, and we live our lives based on His promises, not on the promises of anyone else. Amen. The government's promising us money. Well, what are they doing? They're just printing it. They're promising us money and they're going to take it away from us when they have to pay off the big debt that they have now. So what, what, that, I don't have any faith in them and you shouldn't either. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for them. It doesn't mean that we should hate them. I'm just telling you the truth. They cannot save you. Okay? If you're listening to the woke generation or you're listening to critical race theory or you're listening to uh, uh, Harold Howard Zinn's uh, re reconstruction of history which was defunct when he wrote the book if you're listening to that you're listening to the wrong authority because they're leading you astray and we need to we need to listen to the word of god well yeah but i look, what about my experience trash your experience amen what about people who have good experiences with drugs should you go take drugs because they've had good experiences what about people who have a good experience with, with drinking alcohol and becoming an alcoholic? They have good experiences. Well, yes, of course they do, until you find them dead in their homes 
like a friend of mine found his brother-in-law dead in his home two weeks after he died because he was an alcoholic. Oh, he listened to all those who said, hey, getting drunk is a great fun. Let's do this. Wrong authority, guys. Wrong authority. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to believe? That's the question. And it's going to be the question as you go through your your life. And if you're a Christian, that's the question you're going to ask yourself every day. Who am I going to believe? And I'm going to tell you right now what the Word of God tells you is believe God. No matter what you think or what you experience. But now we have some modern examples, do we not, of the great cloud of witnesses? Look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what Paul says in this chapter. He says um, in verse 1 that they have this ministry by the mercy of God and they, they don't lose heart. Wow, they don't lose heart. But they've been renounced as disgraceful. They've been under in underhand, uh, underhanded ways. Um, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, which is what is happening in the evangelical church today. Um, but he said that by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. So Paul's going to stand on the word of God. Because he says, even if our gospel is veiled, that is, if, it, if the gospel is veiled and people can't see it, it is veiled to whom? To those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And that's why you see happening today what's happening is because the God of this world has has blinded unbelievers and the only way to remove that veil is by them turning to Christ by God removing that veil as he turns them to Christ and then Paul goes on we proclaim not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord drop down in verse 7 he says but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now notice, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Afflicted in every way. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is carrying a cross and dying to ourselves and dying to the world. That's the Christian life. Anything else, you're being sold a bill of goods. Okay? All the health and wealth garbage that goes around, all this, all that is nonsense. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Paul says we belong, that we must suffer with Christ. That doesn't tell us how we must suffer. There are many ways to suffer. But Paul says we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed but not driven to despair. So yeah, you're going to be perplexed. You're going to be confused. Things are going to confuse us. We're not going to understand what, what's going on sometimes. We're going to wrestle with what we see going on in the world and it's going to cause us sometimes to be frustrated, but we're not driven to despair. Why? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by what the Word of God says and not by what we experience or what we see. Amen. It's going to get worse before it ever gets better. 
were persecuted. Oh, persecuted, but not forsake, forsaken. Persecuted. We, we are only tasting what that may be like in the days to come. That's all we're doing. Is we're ta- we have a little bit of a taste of what a totalitarian government is going to be like. Go to China. It's a different story. I read an account of a woman this week who was arrested uh, because they said she had illegal uh, material in her house and they took her down to the police station. She had to take her children with her and in the end they released her and she challenged them. But what was interesting, when she left, she told them, God bless you. She told the, the officers, God bless you. And they say, don't you bless me. And she said, Jesus loves you. Now, I know that some of us don't like when people say that, but I just want you to get the feel, the sense of this woman's joy in Christ. And as the police took her and her son home, they were singing hymns in the car while he was driving. Amen. And her husband was already in prison. So. Amen. That's what's going on in the world. If you go to Iraq, it's illegal to even own a Bible. I should say Iran. It's illegal to own a Bible. And if they catch you trying to propagate the faith, you could be killed. We're not going through that right now. Will we go through that? I don't know. I pray God that we don't. But if we have to, are we going to have Paul's attitude persecuted, but not forsaken. We're forsaken by the world, but not by God. You're going to be forsaken by the world. Get used to it. He says we're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying carrying in 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 the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What does he mean carrying in the body the death of Jesus? Well, I think he means that they take up their cross and they die daily. And when they suffer these things, they understand, yes, I'm carrying about in me the death of Jesus. Jesus died a horrible, excruciating death on a cross. I can't expect any less. Jesus said, if they hate me, they will hate you. Now, I'm not a post-millennialist, so those of you who are, that's okay. I hope that it works out your way. I really do, because I, I would like that better. But, until then, remember what we're told. Don't be surprised by suffering, even if you are of a post-millennial view. Don't be surprised by suffering, because the church has always endured suffering. But then Paul goes on and he says... For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Notice that. Where is his eyes focused? It's focused on the eternal weight of glory that's beyond all uh, all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary or uh, they're passing away. Uh, The New Living Translation says this, they will soon be gone. Uh, The King James Version translated, these are temporal. Um, The New International Version, Reader's Version, uh, translates it, they last only a short time. But the things that are unseen are eternal. 
I, <clears throat> my life is closer to its end than it ever has been as far as I understand it. And so, I am beginning to see that everything that I have, everything that I am as a person, every, everything that I have in this world is passing away and is short-lived. Yeah. You may have money, but don't count on it. Amen. You may have fame, but in one brief encounter, that fame could be turned uh, into shame. Thank you. Could be turned into shame. Now, do I want to make the young people hopeless? No, I want you to understand, hold on to things in this life lightly. Hold on to them lightly. It's okay to enjoy them. It's okay to you know, like go to school and get good grades and all that. But hold on to those things lightly because they will not endure the test of time. Amen. Only Christ endures the test of time. Yes. And so those are our examples. And Paul says, listen, focus on the things. Don't focus on the things that are seen. That is, things that you can experience but focus on that which is unseen because the seen is passing away and the only thing that's going to remain is the unseen. Secondly, repent. Hebrews chapter 12 and the second part of verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Every weight is not necessarily a sin. It could just be um, hope, for example. It could just be something as, as, um, as innocent as holding on to something in this life that you really love. That's not necessarily sinful. You know, you want to hold on to your house. Okay, well, there's nothing wrong with holding on to your house. But remember... Be willing to let it go when the time comes. You know, you might want to hold on to your job. Well, sure, who doesn't want to hold on to their job? Of course you should. But remember, be willing to let it go because it, it, it's not that it's wrong, but it can become a weight in your walk with the Lord. That's all. Mm-hmm. Anything that can hold you back is, is, the, is the idea. Anything that you're trying to, because we're going to talk about running a race, when you're, anything that can hold you back a little bit, that weighs you down, just remove it from you. Or, in other words, um, you could lay it aside. Um, I would say don't hold on to it. Uh, uh, don't hold on to it. Um, but the picture here is to lay aside. It's kind of like taking off a jacket, you know. You know, lay it aside. Take it off. It's weighing you down. Don't let things weigh you down. But then he says, secondly, and the sin which clings so closely to you. Um, uh, it's, it's the idea of setting aside every besetting sin. Now, all sin besets us, but some sin besets us more regularly <laughs> than others. What are some examples of some sins that's, that are besetting to us? 
Oh, we always think about lust. That's a big one. That, so I'm not going to talk about I don't want to mention lust. Lust is a big one. Everybody knows about lust. What about anger? Amen. What about having a bad attitude? Amen. What about hating your politicians? <laughs> what about that? What about being disgruntled about the way things are going right now? In other words, being, being a person who's not satisfied or not thankful for the things that God gives us. Yes. Amen. Being, what is being ingra- ingratitude is a sin, folks. Remember Paul in Romans chapter 1? He talks about those who didn't honor God, nor were they thankful. Amen. They weren't thankful. Adam and Eve in the garden, and we're still fighting the same battle. They weren't thankful to God. He gave them all they needed. And what did they do? They took the very thing He told them not to. Why? Because they weren't thankful for what they had. And that's us. We're always grabbing for more. Oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. Why? Why can't you just sit down and say, you know what, God? Thank you. I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't want anything else. I just accept this. Why do we always got to seek to get ahead? I'm not saying not to have, you know, I'm not saying don't take a promotion. I don't mean that. But some people just constantly grabbing to get ahead. They're constantly, go, 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 go. I got to get ahead, got to get ahead. Why? Why not just sit back and say, you know, God, thank you for what I have. Thank you for giving me um, what I have. Because that's a sin when we're not thankful. And we rarely ever think about ingratitude as being a sin. And the writer of Hebrews says you need to set it aside. Actually, he says you need to lay it aside. You need to just... It's like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 and in Colossians chapter 3. Put off the old, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new. That's what you got to do. you got to put off the old thoughts, the old practices, the old habits. You know, do them one at a time, but put them off. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What does that mean? That means to um, satiate yourself with the Word of God. That's how you understand the, the mind of God. That's how you understand what God wants. You put on... Um, you, you, you be renewed in the spirit of your mind by the Word of God. And then you put on the new, that is, the new man. The, the new man according to what the Scripture says. So you put off the old man, you put on the new. You put off the old habits, you put on the new habits. That's what's in view here. Don't keep those besetting sins near you. Third, run. Notice what the writer says. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run. I, I can't run anymore. But I'm still supposed to run the race. The word race can also mean something like to engage in intense struggle involving physical or non-physical force against strong opposition, um, to struggle or fight. Um, it can also mean it's a con- like a competition, a contest, a race, a struggle against opposition, struggle or fight. If you want to know my resources for that, I'll tell you after the service. So it in- the, the idea of running 
a race is the idea of struggling to meet the goal. Struggling to... <clears throat> what do they do when they run a race? They break the ribbon, right? They run through, they get their chest stuck out, and they break the ribbon. Struggle to get past that ribbon. Be first. And don't look behind you. I, I read an illustration one time about a young man who uh, was running in a race, and, and uh, he kept looking behind him. As he ran, he kept looking behind him. He wanted to make sure that he wasn't last. Well, he wasn't last. He was next to last because he was focused on the guys behind him. And his coach said, you know, you could run a lot better. And he said, well, you know, I wanted to make sure I wasn't last. He said, well, you weren't last. He said, but you weren't first either because you took your eyes off of the goal. Oftentimes in running, they'll tell you, when you run, fix your eyes on the front runner and pace yourself. Because that's where your eyes need to be, on the front runner who's setting the pace. When he picks it up, you pick it up. When you get close to that ribbon, you give it everything you got. But you don't look behind you. Because if you start off looking behind you, you won't be last, but you'll be next to last. And so the idea is that you've got to really struggle in these things. Running is hard. I've, I, used, I ran before, and it took me a long time to get used to run just a mile, and I didn't run very fast. And it hurt. It hurt my muscles. Um, climbing high peaks is another thing that hurts your muscles. You know, when you go climb a 14er in Colorado, it's hard to get up those things. You know, some of them are so steep, they elevate a thousand feet in uh, less than um, less than a mile. Wow. So you're climbing, you're climbing, you're really, it's a steep climb, and your legs begin to shake as you go up that. And I, for me, I had to stop every five feet to catch my breath. I made it. Um, almost didn't make it, but I made it. And I, all I can tell you is that it's really hard. It was really hard on me to do that. It was a... It was an intense struggle that involved physical, physical force. It was hard. And that's what we're supposed to do when it comes to running the race that set before us as Christians. It's not going to be easy. That's the point. Don't ever think that it will be easy. But what do you do? You keep your eyes on the, the front runner. That's what you do. And that's what the, 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 fifth, the fourth point is. Rivet. Rivet your eyes on Jesus. He's the founder or the author and the perfecter or the finisher or completer of our faith. You've got to keep your eyes on Christ. He's in front of you. Don't worry about everybody else around you. Keep your eyes on Christ. I had a friend who was a pilot up in Colorado. He went to the church we went to and... Um, he was telling us one day about about what happens when you um, well what happened was he was flying he said and the and the motor stopped the prop stopped everything stopped and he was trying to figure out what went wrong because he thought he had enough gas I'll come to find out um, that he forgot to turn the gas tank on so he ran out of gas so he said what did I do he said I didn't panic the first thing I did was I started looking at the ground picking out a place where I could land this plane. 
He said, and I didn't take my eyes off of it. I guided my plane to that, to that place where I thought I could put this plane down. He said, and, and then it dawned on me, turn your gas on. <laughs> so he did. But the point, the point he was trying to make is that, you know, you've got to be focused when you're in a situation like that. You've got to keep your eyes focused in the right place. And that's what the writer is saying. You know, what are you supposed to do when you run the race? Keep your eye on the first, on the front runner. He sets the pace. So what do you do? You keep your eyes on Jesus. Rivet your attention on Him. Why? Because He's the author or the founder. I don't know about founder. He's the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. Now notice what it says. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now it continues in the next verse. Because what it talks about is considering Him. So now we're looking at Him, and then we're going to be considering Him. But as we're looking at Him, what is it that we see? We see someone who's the author of our faith, who saw the joy set before him was not the cross. That wasn't the joy. The joy was the glory that would be his through that cross. So he despised the shame of the cross and because of that God raised him and seated him and gave him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But notice, this all fits in with what the writer's been saying. The joy that was set before him was not the cross, but he endured the cross because of what he saw that was not before him. Right? The joy that was set before him wasn't the cross, but he could see the joy set before him because he knew that he would be with the Father. His faith was in the Father who would raise him from the dead. He didn't see that. He endured the cross because he believed that. That's That's the point of faith. We say, well, how did Jesus have faith? And yet he was the Son of God. And how did he have faith in the Son of God? One of these days we're going to talk about that, I promise. But it's not easy, but it's the mystery of the Incarnation. I can't explain it any other way. It's the mystery of the Incarnation. Jesus believed his Father. He did not see everything. Jesus, the Christ, the man, Jesus was fully man and fully God. As fully man, he did not see all those things. But he believed all those things. Why? Because the Father told him. Because he lived in light of the Scripture. And the Scripture told him those things. And so Jesus endured the cross because he knew what the Scripture said about the end that he would have. And that is exaltation at the right hand of God. He probably kept in mind things like Psalm 2. You know, that the, the Lord has uh, made him a king and that, um, and that he, the, the Lord, the Father, is going to subdue all of his enemies under his feet and, um, that, he, and that he calls all the nations to, to pay homage to him lest they perish. 
And so, yeah, there's all kinds of psalms and there's all kinds of scripture in the Old Testament to inform the human mind of Christ that these were before him. And so he endured the cross because he believed the word of God. That has to be what's in view because that's that's what's consistent with the whole chapter 11 and 12. The word of God is what gives us faith. Not what we see, not what we touch, not what we feel, but the word of God. And so Christ endured all of that because he believed his heavenly father. Do you believe him? Because that's what God wants us to do. And then finally, fifth, he says, restore. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The opposite or the one, one antonym of uh, growing weary is restoring, restoration. And so I use that as a point. Brothers and sisters, we have to not grow weary. I think sometimes we all do. But as we consider Jesus, what do we consider about him? He endured from sinners such hostility against himself. That's what we sometimes experience. If we're ever out or we're ever talking to somebody about the Lord Jesus, we're going to, we may experience, experience, experience some hostility. Some people are going to be hostile to us because we're Christians. I experienced some hostility because I voted for Trump, and I am a Christian. So how could you be a Christian and vote for Trump? You know, so, okay, you know, people get angry at you. Now they laugh at you or they say things about you because you voted the way they didn't think you should. Well, you know, I don't think the others voted right this time, but I'm not going to chide them or anything. I don't want to do that. You know, let's go on with life. Yeah. Whatever God has for us, God's in control. Amen. This is God's world. It's not mine. Would I like things to be different? Sure, but I would have liked them to be different under the former president. So, in fact, we could go back a lot of presidents and I would like things to have been different. But, uh, you know what? This world's not my home. And I don't want to grow weary and I don't want to be faint-hearted because of what I see. And I don't want to grow faint-hearted or grow weary because some people don't like me because I'm a Christian. And they're not going to like you sometimes if you're a Christian. You know, I keep reading about people in the Middle, in the Middle East and um, how they're, they're treated so horribly because they're Christians. Uh, some children are taken from their parents. Um, some parents, the father is killed, or sometimes they won't. Sometimes what they do in the Middle East is they will not let a man work to support his family. How, what are they supposed to do? And yet they don't grow weary. So I have the question, why don't they grow weary? And the rest of us in this country, we grow weary when we have just small little things going wrong. Why do my brothers and sisters in China not grow weary, but they don't? <clears throat> and yet we, this country, the church is capitulating 
one thing after another. You know, now we got woke pastors and now we got <laughs> these other kind of people and they, they accuse Christ of sinning, being a racist and those kinds of things. Like, why do they do that? Well, because they don't like, they don't like what happens to Christians who don't comply with the status quo. So if you're not going to comply with the status quo, then prepare yourself for trouble because you're going to run into it. And I want to tell you this. The only way you're not going to grow weary or be faint-hearted is to rivet your eyes on Christ and consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. What kind of hostility did Jesus consider against Himself? Well, let's see. I remember them cursing Him as He walked down the street. I remember them, well, I definitely remember them crucifying him. I remember them calling him um, satanic. Mm-hmm. I remember them saying that he cast out demons by the prince of demons. Mm-hmm. I remember him being chided at every point. He'd go in the synagogues and they would say things against him. They would try to raise, they'd try to find reasons to put him to death. And they finally did. And they had a lie to do it. And so the people who follow him, they have, they're going to experience the same thing. Do you know that John Calvin was not the king of, of Geneva? Do you know that? John Calvin wasn't the, he wasn't the king of Geneva. No. He wasn't even a ruler of Geneva. He did sit on the council. But did you know that John Calvin had people spit in his face when he walked down the street? The children would throw garbage at him and curse at him as he walked down the street? Well, I was thinking of Calvin and this great, you know, theologian who had it made and easy and he didn't. None of the reformers had it made and easy. Luther endured all kinds of things. But what did they do? What did they do? They considered him. They considered Jesus who endured hostility against himself. And they didn't grow weary. What about you? What about me? Am I going to grow grow weary as we struggle through the days ahead? I one of these days I want to sing uh, Afri- some African uh, Negro spirituals, African American spirituals that were written by slaves as they sat in uh, in the cotton fields and places where they they lived. Um, did you know that there were slaves if they tried to go to worship they, if they got caught they got beat some of them got killed these were by the people who introduced them to the Bible and so they wrote these, these spirituals you know I told you about them last week I think so I don't want to repeat myself but they endured they endured and they didn't grow weary or faint-hearted because they kept focusing on Christ and they kept singing not about our home here which was no promise to them that it was ever going to be better they uh, they kept singing about the one who would bring them to glory they kept their eyes fixed on the one who endured from sinners hostility against himself and they didn't grow weary or faint-hearted. And may we be the same. May we be of the same ilk. Let's pray.
Oh Lord our God, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You that You have given us all things that we need for life and godliness. And we pray that You would strengthen the weak knees and give us uh, perseverance and, and give us a heart that desires You and You alone. May we worship You more. May we love You more. May we praise You evermore as we go through our days. Thank You for Your Word. And may we be like the person the writer of Hebrews calls us to be. May we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, in whose name we pray. Amen.